Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with Sarah uh, Anzia of uh, University of California at Berkeley, who is the author of the very new book, Timing and Turnout, How Off-Cycle Elections Favor Organized Groups. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a great book. Uh, before we get to it, uh, let's learn a little bit more about you. Uh, where are you now? Where have you been? And so where does the book fall into your uh, writing career? <laughs> uh, in the beginning, I suppose. Um, I'm an assistant professor at the Goldman School of Public Policy at University of California, Berkeley. Um, I'm, uh, I've was in California before I came here. I did my PhD in political science at Stanford. Um, and before that, uh, I was home in Chicago, my original home, um, the University of Chicago, in their uh, Master's of Public Policy program, uh, doing my MPP. So um, that's my background. Um, I have two homes, Chicago and California, although increasingly it's seeming like California is my home. Uh, yeah, well, these are... Uh, two good, two good places to be, and, and we've had uh, the pleasure to talk to some other people. I'm sure you've come across and, and had a, a, a Will Howells book um, on the podcast a couple of uh, uh, maybe a couple of months ago. And so, um, welcome to the uh, welcome to the podcast and 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 your book, which is just really interesting. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about the book. Um, it seemed to me just right at the start that one of the first reactions to your book title would either be something to the effect of, hasn't this already been done? Or why in the world didn't I write this book first? (laughs) Um, It's really surprising that your book truly explores uncharted territory. Why do you think it is that so little research has examined these issues of the timing of elections? Well, I think, uh, you know, with your initial reaction, which is, hasn't someone already done this? um, uh, I think that I ask that question all the time. Um, Here's an electoral institution, the timing of elections. So when elections are held, meaning whether, say, a local or a state election is held at the same time as a presidential election or another election that has higher turnout, how how the timing of elections affects turnout and also affects um, the types of policies governments make. This is an obvious thing to study, um, and especially since so many elections in the United States are held times other than what we call National Election Day. Um, But, you know, it turns out that, um, you know, this hasn't been studied at all, really, uh, very little. And I think part of the reason is that when we typically think about elections, this goes for political scientists and just about everybody, we we usually think about national elections. And when we think about policy, we think about national policy. But if you face the facts... Um, we have over 89,000 different governments in this country, Uh, 89,000. And together, we have over 500,000 elected officials making decisions about policy. And most of those are state and then local, of course, governments. Um, And most local government officials aren't elected on Election Day. Um, And I think part of the reason this hasn't been studied is because it's a state and local phenomenon, and we don't think as much about state and local politics and policy as we do national policy. So that's, that's my explanation for it. The other is um, a related one, which is not just a question of focus. Uh, It's just that it's difficult to study states and especially local politics. Uh, It's harder to collect data. It is extremely rare that I ask a question about local politics and can just download a data set that someone else has 
collected. Um, so it's it's a lot more work uh, for the same product, and um, so I think that discourages some people. Although this is changing, I, I I think increasingly people are doing more work on state and local politics because it's incredibly important, and there are huge opportunities for uh, theoretical and empirical advances. So that's that's my explanation for why this hasn't been studied. Um, you know whether that's the case. Uh, I, I, you know, that's this is just my educated guess. Um, yeah, and and you know, I, I, I in in reading the book, uh, I have to agree on on all of of what you said. Both uh, um, the lack of, uh, not that nobody uh, nobody has um, touched the subject at all, but approached it in the ways that you do, and your collection of data and your presentation, I think, makes this therefore a really interesting contribution to such a number of different. Fields. So let's get to some of the stuff that you actually write about. You, you in some ways split the book, not in half, but you split some of your investigation to what happened before 1900 and what happened after. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, describe for us the political landscape of election timing before the turn of the last century. Who had authority to set the date of local elections? Something that was surprising to me. And, and um, what do we know about the on and off cycle decisions that those those policymakers made. Well, so um, this was I mean, this was surprising to me too, um, considering that nowadays there are a lot of local governments that can make their own decisions about when to hold elections. Um, prior to the Progressive Era and. Um, the municipal reform movement, which r- roughly took place between 1894 and 1917, the states, um, the local governments were truly creatures of the state in that the state legislatures, the state governments made decisions about all things local. Um, and they did so in a way that's very different uh, than they do so today. So, for example, um, it was it, it was the norm in the 19th century for the state governments to make decisions about specific local governments. So um, I am deciding that, you know, in the, in the state of Illinois that Peoria is going to have its elections on this day, and that might be very different from Rockford. Um, so... So they made decisions about individual state governments. It was called special legislation. Um, and so the state legislature would make various rules for local governments throughout the state that might have differed from one local government to another. Um, that changed with the municipal reform movement. Um, after the reform movement, states could essentially, they could only make, uh, generally make laws that affected, say, all municipal governments in the state. It was called general legislation. They couldn't say, here are the rules for one state, uh, locality, here are the rules for another. Um, or for the local governments that got home rule, often Oftentimes, um, that those local governments could make their own uh, decisions about when to hold elections. Um, in California, we call those charter cities. Um, so, so there was a lot that changed from the 19th century to uh, the 20th century and today. Um, but you know, your second question, as far as what do we know about the dynamics, the politics of how government officials made decisions uh, in the 19th century about local election timing. To put it simply, it was partisan and political and manipulative. So 
at the local government, it, the parties were the big players. The political parties were the big players, even in local politics in the 19th century. Um, everything, you know, nowadays, parties can be, are usually quite unimportant in local elections. But in the 19th century, the parties were huge. And winning winning the control of local government was very important to the political parties um, as a whole because winning control of a city government like in New York would give it jobs uh, that it could hand out to as patronage to its supporters. So um, there was a, a it was a power struggle over control of jobs and that's why the parties cared so much about who won control of local government. And, um, you know, given that the parties were competing at the state level, at the national level, at the local level, um, these the, the political parties that were um, in control of the state legislature would manipulate the timing of local elections, say, in New York, in Philadelphia, in San Francisco, in order to create the best chances for their party to win control of that local government. Um, so... It was true, even in the 19th century, that if, this, if San Francisco had an off-cycle election, not concurrent with the presidential election, turnout would be lower than it would be if it, that election were held at the same time as presidential elections. And that change in turnout, that lower turnout, changed the composition of the electorate. It might mean more Democrats would turn out. It might mean more Republicans or more Whigs would turn out. And so the, the, in the state legislature, the political parties were thinking, well, let's change the timing of election to create the best, opportunity, the best chances for us, our party to win control of that local government. And this happened on a regular basis such that over the course of the 19th century, at least in the big cities I looked at, election timing of these cities changed all the time for purely partisan political reasons because they cared about winning elections. So we have this, this, this time period that you just described, followed in some ways by the progressive reforms of, of the, the end of the century. Um, why was this important to progressive reformers? Why was this issue something that they cared about? And, and was it just sort of their, their benign view of good government? Or were there other um, sort of you know, less benign uh, objectives that they had in in trying to uh, take some control or at least participate in decisions about election timing. That's a great question, um, and I think that the easy answer, the one that you'd get just reading the literature, is that the progressives, um, or I should say, to be fair, at least some of the literature, is that the progressives wanted to weaken the political parties. They wanted um, local governments to be run like businesses. The parties and the spoil system were getting in the way of that. And um, and because the party, the, you know, oftentimes the, the party of the machine in a big city was benefiting from having city elections concurrent with national elections, the, the progressives just wanted to switch to off-cycle local elections so that their ideas, their goals would be furthered. I am skeptical of that in the book um, and skeptical of that in general um, because, and there are a lot of indicators for this, um, it is true that most of the time there were local uh, reform parties as early as the 1850s that, that were trying to win local elections so that they could get their own people in office, but they struggled. They couldn't win. Um, is when elections were held on cycle, they could not um, overcome the fact that in these on-cycle elections, 
voters typically voted for the dominant party. They voted for the major party. And these local reform parties had a really tough time making any uh, headway in terms of electoral success. And so what I argue in the book is that it was, you know, whether or not there are you know, some progressives had lofty goals of making local government better, and I think they did. Um, in the end, it, to make changes, you have to win elections. And there, there's some evidence in that chapter that I raised that really, for the progressives, they were trying to win elections uh, just as much as anybody. And to do that, it was going to be much easier for them to do that if local elections were removed from the partisan forces that were dominating on-cycle local elections. And this is something that's been suggested by others in the literature too, like Jessica Traunstein and Amy Bridges, um, that they were, you know, they were out for the good of their own candidates as well, just like any other organization. Right, right. And as we move ahead, sort of in time, um, and, and the progressive reformers um, win some battles, not all battles, one of the interesting things you show in the book is that this, um, uh, the timing of election becomes now a uh, a tool of of more traditional political parties and and special interests that they uh, whereas in the past this was something they were they were pushing against now they adopt it as a strategy of their own and so what do we see as we move into the 20th century at, related to the timing of elections how, how does this become a tool that's used to win 20th century victories rather than 19th century victories right well so. Um, there's, uh, let me just preface this by saying there's a lot in here that needs to be filled in. Um, and so what I see in the book is that basically um, the, the progressives were pretty successful in at least by 1930, the first date at which I have systematic data on the timing of city elections. By that time, most city elections were held off cycle. And from the 1930s to the late 1980s, not much changed. There were very few cities that that move back to an on-cycle schedule. So suddenly this idea of off-cycle local elections became a fixture, something that was quite resistant to change, um, unlike the 19th century where there was a lot of back and forth uh, over the timing of local elections. And I think that what happened, there are a few things that happened during the um, early 20th century, late 19th century that, that really helped um, create some stability or create an environment for some stability in election timing. The first is that the progressive era more broadly was successful and the political parties and the spoil system were dramatically weakened. And so um, because um, political parties no longer could, uh, to the same extent, hand out jobs for uh, as, as rewards for people who helped them get elected, um, to some extent, the political parties lost interest in controlling local government to the same extent that they had before. Um, so, so maybe that was uh, part of the reason. A lot of local elections became nonpartisan after that. Um, the second is that there were changes going on. Um, I mentioned the difference between special legislation and general legislation earlier. So in, uh, in the late 19th century, the states really switched from a model of governing 
local uh, elections and local government via special legislation to one where they had to make rules that applied to all cities and uh, school districts within the state. So suddenly, for state governments, um, it was no longer as easy to say, well, it's our, to our advantage to have this election timing in this city, so we'll just change that one. They had to create rules, oftentimes constitutions, that outlined an election timing rule for the whole state. So there wasn't as much ease of manipulation as there was before. Um, but I think the, the thing that I really emphasize in the book um, is that what happened as the political parties became less invested in local politics, they weren't direct competitors, there was less to gain for them. Um, what happened was, uh, you know, there, it's not like as the political parties uh, recede, nothing fills the void. This was also the time when interest groups started to um, increase their presence. You see, um, you see nonpartisan slating groups and chambers of commerce and interest groups filling the void, eventually labor groups. And so, and it, it because it, unlike political parties, which are always, to some extent, engaged in a zero-sum form of competition. If a Democrat wins one seat on a city council, it's not there for the Republican to win. Interest groups can be competing in a zero-sum fashion, but a lot of times they're not. And an interest group that's trying to get some benefit from local government doesn't necessarily get that benefit at the expense of another. And so it was suddenly possible for multiple interest groups to all benefit at the same time from off-cycle election timing, um, if you understand what I'm saying. They were all, in some sense, um, gaining from this their increased presence and influence in off-cycle elections. And so there was just less less incentive overall for any politicians to do anything about the fact that turnout could be 10 to 20 percent of registered voters in many of these local elections. Um, so it, it, that this part of the story, I think, really what happened between the municipal reform movement and the modern period where I pick up as the one area where I think there is a lot there where, you know, that needs to be developed. Um, and I put some, forward some ideas in the book. Um, but um, I think that this is a great research topic going forward. What happened in the interim? You know, what did these interest groups look like? Um, you know, and is there is there anything else that we're missing? Right. And, and in interest to find, let's sort of move ahead to the, the more contemporary time period. And, and sort of accept that we, we have these differences in the timing of elections. And so when people say, so it's, it's May, why, why are we holding an election? We now have um, uh, some answers to that. And we also know that the, the turnout is, is significantly lower when these, when these elections are held off cycle. Build, build up the, the case for why, what an interest group might get out of this. Um, why might it be in their interest to to um, have this kind of off cycle, do they? How do they benefit from it? How how might um, uh, a group representing uh, labor or business or what have you um, uh, extract some sort of benefit or rent from this timing issue? What and 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 then what do you find? Uh, what did you find about the answer to that question? Well, this is really the crux of the book. Um, so we know for a fact that, as you say, when say a local election is held off cycle, um, turnout is very is much lower than it would be if that election were held on cycle. And by lower, I don't mean two 
percentage points lower. I, you know, when you compare an off-cycle local election to a, a local election held during a presidential election, we're talking about a difference in um, turnout of about 30 percentage points. So these are huge, huge turnout effects. Um, in fact, the timing of the local election is the most important predictor of how, what turnout levels will be in that local election. Um, and so this is what I, what I argue in the book is that um, there are, there, we should expect organized groups to benefit from that low turnout. Um, they should be more able to elect the candidates that are going to favor the policies they favor, and as a result, they should be more likely to get favorable policies um, in those places with off-cycle elections for two reasons. Um, first, is, The first is that the people who have a large stake in an election, they turn out to vote at higher rates regardless of when the election is held, even if over, overall turnout is a lot lower in an off-cycle election. Um, and many of these individuals who have a large stake in the election are members of organized groups, and so they cast a greater proportion of the ballots in these low turnout elections than in high turnout elections. And there's another reason, of course, um, organized groups that have a stake in an election, they don't just sit around and hope their members and supporters are going to turn out to vote. They take an active role in mobilizing their supporters. So when turnout's low, each successfully mobilized voter can have a bigger impact on the outcome. And so what we should expect, based on this logic, is that the members and the mobilized supporters of organized groups, like interest groups, are going to make up a bigger proportion of the electorate in off-cycle elections and get more of their way. Um, and if that's true, this should, you know, potentially have impacts for policy. And you ask, well, how does this work? Well, that the answer to that really depends. Um, for, for elections where there's one dominant interest group or maybe a group that doesn't face direct competition over the policies it cares about, we, policy very clearly should be more favorable to that group when elections are held off-cycle than when they're held on-cycle. And you might say, yeah, sometimes groups compete over policy. Absolutely. In those cases, um, a switch to off-cycle election timing can't necessarily work to the advantage of both groups. Um, but at the same time, even when groups compete, a change in the election timing and turnout can tip the balance of power between them in favor of one group or its rival. And so that's what I'm testing in the book. Do we see policies that are more favorable to particular groups in the places where elections are held off-cycle? So just to give you a sense of the, the findings in the second half of the book, and I should clarify, the his, even the historical um, chapter, chapter three, um, and the chapter about the politics of election timing choice in the, the present day, chapter four, these are really tested of these core ideas. Um, but there, the chapters five and six of the book really try to estimate the causal impact of off-cycle election timing. And what I do in chapter five, I look at school board elections. Um, I, I essentially, just to put it broadly, I compare school districts that hold elections off-cycle uh, to school board districts that hold their elections on-cycle. And what I find is that if you just think about it, there's a literature on this, teachers and teacher unions are some of the most motivated, best organized groups in school board elections. And what I discover in this empirical analysis in chapter five is that uh, school districts that hold off-cycle elections pay teachers 
about 4% more in base salary than districts that have on-cycle elections. So the group that's really dominant in school board politics and school board elections is getting more favorable policies in places where those districts are held, uh, those district elections are held off cycle. And I have three different tests of that, you know, each with a different, a variant of some kind, um, one in Texas, one in Minnesota, and then one with eight different states. Um, the bottom line is that teachers as a group are doing better in the places where school board members are elected off cycle. Um, and then in chapter six, I expand this to look at cities. Um, aside from finding that, this is, and this is, I think, is a really big thing, that election timing alone explains two thirds of the variation in voter turnout in California city elections. So what that means is if you're curious to know how many people are going to vote in an election, the very first thing you'd want to know is when is that election being held. Um, but then I estimate the effect of off-cycle city election timing on um, the influence of two groups, both of which tend to be active in city politics, firefighters and police officers. And I find that like the teachers, city employees are better compensated in cities that hold off-cycle elections. Um, and this translates into very real consequences for um, the city's operating budgets and how much they're spending on employee compensation. So there, this, what, in a nutshell, what, what these groups can expect is more favorable policy, and that's what these groups are all about in the first place. Yeah, and you know these these findings I think are are just so interesting and 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 so convincing and you know sort of stepping back from the book a little bit. One of the things that I was thinking about is. You know, in what ways is this a is a type of voter suppression? Um, you know, when you get down to the numbers that we're talking about in terms of the decrease in turnout among some uh, uh, parts of the electorate, we're talking about a tiny, tiny turnout. Right. Um, is this something that um, the Department of Justice pursues ever? Is this something? And let me we can talk sort of in a more sort of conclusionary way. Um, is it something that that should be taken seriously as a as a form of voter suppression? Um, you know, as as a way to to really shut out large portions of the electorate that who whose voice ultimately isn't heard on the decision of what's the right level of uh, uh, of teacher compensation or what is the level of public uh, uh, how public contracts should be negotiated. Is that is that a part of what we can take away from this or? Or conversely, what do you think we should take away from this? It's a very descriptive book, but but you know, looking ahead, what do we what do we make from this? Well, uh, different people latch on to different aspects of this, um, and I think that it depends on who you are. So I think that certain people hear that simply that turnout you know is is far lower, thirty percentage points lower in off cycle elections, and that's enough for them to be concerned um, because participation is valuable in its own right. And it is, it's very clear, it, just looking at the debates in state legislatures um, in Chapter 4, that this is intentional. People, everybody knows that off-cycle elections, uh, holding elections off-cycle will lower turnout. Um, and that's justified using, argu every side has its arguments, and usually it's justified in this way, um, that the, even though turnout is lower in uh, off-cycle elections, it's the more informed voters who are turning out, the people who really know and care about local politics, about school board politics who are participating, um, and wouldn't 
this is the argument. Wouldn't we rather have people who know and care about local politics being the ones who are making effectively making decisions about uh, local policy? Um, that you know, that's that's really the justification from it. But then I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable about this because essentially. Um, you know, you're making a decision between do we want the masses or do we want just those who are informed? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's that's really the participation question. Um, then there are people who think, well, wh- the way in which we should judge this is um, based on the outcomes, the policy outcomes. And I think here, too, people find themselves in a quandary because we typically think of um, – of low turnout as helping Republicans and hurting Democrats. And one of the really interesting things I show in my book is that, yeah, that might be true a lot of the time, but at least in school board politics and quite possibly uh, other um, city politics, that's not always the case. And oftentimes it's Democrats and groups that are affiliated with Democrats who are benefiting from low turnout. So all of a sudden, um, if you're judging election timing on the basis of outcomes, it's not clear where you should sit. <laughs> if you you consider mm-hmm. yourself um, clearly in the Republican camp or clearly in the Democratic camp. Um, so I think that people are really conflicted if they're trying to say, well, where I stand is, you know, depends on where I sit so on these policy issues. Um, for example, if I want teachers to be paid more, shouldn't I be advocating off-cycle elections? That's a sort of conundrum you find yourself in. Um, so I think that it's, it's really – what I try to do in the conclusion of the book is try to introduce these this, these debates and bring them center stage so so that at least we can talk about them because for the most part um, they've been going on in the shadows with uh, you know quietly in state legislatures um, with the exception of Michigan where this was really a big deal and I think increasingly in California people are starting to talk about local election timing and what it's doing to voter turnout um, because. We know. I mean, if there's one thing we do know at this point, it is that if you hold election, local elections off cycle, turnout will be lower and usually far lower. So if we know that, then your question is, what should we be doing? And I think that's just the right question to be asking. Yeah, it's um, the book is is filled with a lot of very good stuff, and and I think people should go out from lots of different, not just political scientists, but I think there are um, lots that can be taken away from this from uh, a lot of different subfields and a lot of different disciplines. What's next for you? Um, this book is out, and not to put any pressure on you, but is there another book that we can look forward to? Is there the, the start of a project that's related to this, or maybe something new that's uh, going to be uh, forthcoming from you in the future? Sure. Yeah, um, so I, I'll mention two big things I'm working on. Um, so a few of the projects I'm working on were ideas I had while writing the book, um, just because I discovered some things that we really don't know much about. Um, so I'm first of all, I'm building on this idea that sometimes it's actually Democrats who benefit from low voter turnout. And I'm working on a project now that generalizes why, this, why and when this is, and it's about interest groups, um, and that tests the conditions under which uh, Democrats rather than Republicans might benefit from low voter turnout environments. And I'm also doing relatedly research on uh, what organized groups are actually involved in local elections. This is something we know very little about and I think that stands to make a, have a big impact. Um, 
The other thing I want to mention is that I have a series of papers uh, that may ultimately become a book, I don't know yet, uh, that are co-authored with Terry Moe at Stanford um, on issues that are related to government employees and public sector unions in politics. Um, so in one of those papers, uh, we do an in-depth investigation of how public sector unions influence government costs. Um, in another, we look at the politics of the crisis in public sector pensions. Um, in a third, we're working on now, we're looking at the politics behind the passage of um, state laws that require collective bargaining for state and local government employees. So those are really the two big projects that I'm working on that um, you can look for in, in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, they all sound fantastic, um, as is your, your current book, Timing and Turnout, How Off-Cycle Elections Favor Organized Groups, published by University of Chicago Press and available at their website, I'm sure. Sarah, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> 